Hey everyone, my name is Corey Behrens and you're listening to the Simplistic Views Podcast. Today, I sit down with Jordan Bergen, who is a motion graphics animator from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. In this podcast, we talk about what it's like to be a freelancer, how Jordan went from video into motion animation, and so much more. Let's get into it. So, um, Jordan Bergen, like you said, um, I'm a motion designer for uh, my day job right now. Um, essentially, for those of you that don't know what motion design is, uh, it's, it's animation meets graphic design, ultimately. So um, I had a career originally in video for several years, for about 10 years um, prior to kind of finding uh, motion design. And uh, it, was, it was a pretty natural path for me to start focusing on motion a little bit more. Um, I used to go out and shoot quite a bit. and. Um, it eventually just got to the point where I really enjoyed actually doing more of the editorial side of things, um, which of course led into um, you know motion design being great because I didn't have to go out and shoot my content in order to put pieces together, you know. So that was kind of the initial stages of me saying, hey, you know, this isn't so bad. Um, I can kind of I can I can be a little bit of a hermit and still be able to create some pretty cool stuff. Okay, like I like the the ending part of being like a little, little hermit, being in the like little bunkers right. doing this on the type. <laughs> exactly. Um, <clears throat> so, like you mentioned that you got started in video production, pretty much. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about that? And when did you realize that you wanted, like, you were doing this video stuff, and then I believe you went to um, the school of motion. Correct? Yep. Motion. Yep. Online. Yeah, yeah I did yeah, online you, courses for that. Yeah, you did some courses on that. Uh, can you kind of walk us through that progression of maybe the realization like, oh, maybe I don't want to do video? Is there a specific like time like you were on a shoot and you're like, oh, this, I don't want to do this anymore? Well, um, honestly, it was, so I grew up, my dad was a video producer here in town, worked for a company and we would travel around the U.S. Um, putting videos together um, for, um, I guess some corporate stuff in the early days, but he ended up doing a lot of philanthropic stuff, kind of high level philanthropic work for um, medical institutions and universities. And so I always had a camera around the house growing up. Um, and back in those days, you know, he had, I remember the first thing that I had actually edited something on was Media 100, um, back before Final Cut had really bursted on the scene. Um, and that was actually where I did like my first animation piece, which I wasn't into animation. Like if you were to tell me 10 years ago that I were to be making my liver as, living as an animator, I would have told you to piss off because it just wasn't something that I was interested in. You know, it seemed very time consuming. Um, but from that, begin shooting, you know, um, come into my 20s trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. And by that point, I had created a lot of work for fun and it just kind of made sense that it was like, yeah, you know, uh, I can get paid to make videos and I'm not bad at it. You know, I've got a mentor in my dad and he showed me the rope. So it was an easy transition for me. You know, it was kind of a, just a natural thing to do, I guess. But it wasn't until maybe, I think it was six years ago now um, that I had found School of Motion, which I was in the initial, um, just a class after beta, I guess, for their initial, um, um, uh, animation boot camp, which was their kind of first flagship course, online course that they had done. And when I saw that, I was working actually with my dad's company at the time, doing some freelance work for them. And I just asked them like, you know, would you guys be able to put me through this course? And luckily they said yes. And that was kind of the moment where I began, you know, a little bit of a light switch flip for me to where, again, at that time I was doing a whole lot of shooting, editing, 
um, the, you know, the full nine yards for video world. And um, it really started to click for me that, hey, you know, After Effects isn't just this thing that, that you can, you know, use and, and toss your footage through and do some fancy stuff with. Um, it, it seemed so much more deep than I had initially understood. So uh, I would say definitely that transition point where I realized that motion design was much bigger, at least I had a bigger attraction to it than I thought I did, um, or I thought I would, was after that initial kind of uh, animation boot camp from School of Motion, which I highly check out, uh, go check it out, schoolofmotion.com. They're amazing. They're, I can't recommend them enough. It works if you put the time into it. I remember one of our first conversations that we had that we, when we met uh, back like in like February of this. Of, 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 Has it only? It's been only been yeah. Now? I've only known you since February of like twenty. I swear it's been years. Yeah, I know. I know. I swear to God. Um, I feel like well, but the pandemic has made it feel like yeah, years. that's true. That's um, true. but we had like one of our first conversations. You were kind of asking me. We were over at the wine bar. I think you had like a, a, a scotch or some sort of whiskey. Fred was with us. Fred had a Jack, I think a Jack Daniels or something like that. Yeah, That's a that Fred sounds thing. like Fred. Yeah, it sounds like Fred. And then I was drinking a nice beer. And, um, and we were kind of talking about our passions and stuff like that. And you kind of gave me, um, you know, some pointers on how to be a producer, like a video producer. So, you know, finding the, the business and then, you know, finding the people to fill those roles. Um, I don't know, just, and then he started talking about the, the school of motion and stuff like that and how that, that was a pivotal moment for you to realize that you wanted to move into the scene of, of motion animation and stuff like that. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about one of your first projects that you did after that, after going through that course and, and maybe tell us like, you know, some things that you were feeling while going through that course. Well, the course itself um, was great because that was the first, you know, kind of um, unveiling, if you will, into how that world works because they do a great job of, while you're in animation boot camp in particular, you're, you're learning about the fundamentals, and the, uh, the fundamentals and the principles of animation. They do kind of put it into a real world context where like you've got these clients that you're doing this project for, you know, and they give you this creative brief. And in that sense, it was really cool because at the time I was a working video professional. So it was a way for me to get a little bit of a glimpse into what it could be like doing it professionally, even though it was really like my first experience, you know, with design and, and animation. Um, but one of the great things that came out of it is the network of people that they opened up, right? So um, honestly, if it wasn't for the network and the continued engagement within that um, world, within um, the, the, the um, kind of alumni student body or alumni body that came out of that, I don't know that I would have stuck with it in those initial maybe months afterwards. I was definitely enthralled and I was starting to use it within our, our work um, for the videos that we we're creating. But um, the, the initial projects after that were a ton of personal projects. And at the time when you, you know, especially when it was a young company and they had just started off, it was a pretty small alumni pool. So you knew everybody, um, everybody knew one another, you're posting on the Facebook group back and forth and you see what, you know, Wotor puts up two, you know, like two days ago, that's a badass little animation. I wanna try something like that, okay, do this. And it kind of feeds off one another. So, you know, one of the things in my freelance career because I was doing freelance in my early 20s, just picking up, I wasn't really serious about it, not like you are. Um, I, it was just a way to make some money, enough money to enjoy the weekends, right? That was literally my goal, it was, that was it. Um, 
And I had always thought throughout that, it's like, you know, I grew up with this stuff. I'm good at this. Someday the client, you know, I'll be paid to do something amazing. You know, they'll, they'll understand like what I'm capable of. And it wasn't until I realized that actually you need to invest your time into personal projects, no matter how big they are, to actually grow your skills and also have something to show to clients to say, hey, you can actually trust me to create something in these, you know, along these lines. Because for the longest time, it was just like, when am I going to get lucky? When am I going to find the right client? And you can't rely on um, people to have that not even foresight, you know, that's, that's delusional to think someone would do that, but you can't rely on um, someone to pay you for something that they don't think you can do or they don't know that you can do. Um, so that was really a shift and, and that was kind of the beginning coming out of Animation Bootcamp of, um, at the time it wasn't so much like I'm doing this for my portfolio to show that I'm capable of doing this, it was just like learning the craft and having fun with it. That was a primary thing. It was like enjoyable to make these little six second animations eventually into 30 second pieces that are little personal projects, you know? So it was a lot of personal projects that came out of that, um, that really I think were the, the, the thing that they, they were the, the kind of the steam in the engine to get the ball rolling, you know, to get the train moving. So that was, that was kind of the, the first. Okay. And that's one of the co things that we had talked about over at the wine bar. Um, you had told me about, you know, finding those personal projects, going all in on them. And then, you know, it's, uh, what, what's your saying about, uh, what, what, tell me your saying. So this is from Joey Kornman, the CEO of, of School of Motion. Um, but in our world, there's one for the meal and one for the real, right? And, and when you start thinking as a creative professional, no matter what industry you're in, whether you're an illustrator or a graphic designer or video professional, um, once you separate those two things in your mind, it opens up a world of possibilities as far as controlling your career, right? Um, which this gets a little bit deeper than, than just the craft, but it really becomes, you've got one for the meal, which is essentially jobs that we don't want to do. Like they're, no matter what anybody tells you, if they say that they love everything that they do about their job, most likely they're full of shit. That's all it comes down to. Um, because there are the ones that you just need to bite the bullet. I need money in the door. But where you can start taking control over your career and the direction of your career is where you consider that one for the meal as being a way to utilize that money to invest back in yourself and your career. So now I've spent this time Clients a pain in the ass. I got paid decent. I'm able to sustain myself. Well, shoot, I'm actually set now maybe for two weeks where I don't need to think about a paid project. That allows me to take those two weeks and to invest it back into a personal project or something that inspires me to either push my craft forward. Uh, again, you know, once you establish yourself, maybe it's putting, um, using that time to put together something in your portfolio that you feel like is missing that you want to spend more time doing to get paid doing. Um, so that balance is really, uh, honestly, the biggest thing in my career that kind of shifted my mindset toward um, putting me in a position to where I felt like it was no longer up to chance, whether I was going to find a cool client or be able to get to this studio and work with them. You know, it really, it, it empowered me. That's true. Yeah. And it's also like the process of, like, so a lot of times, I'm sure you you had this too, where I, I've had this certainly when I start, for, first got started out. I'm like, oh, like 
Netflix or or uh, or like in your case, like you've you've worked with HBO, correct? Yep. Um, like I'm you're you're sitting down here as a just be, as a beginner and you're like okay, I'm waiting for them to hire me right now. But it's like those little small projects that you do, those personal projects, but also you know the other the other projects that you have to do, um, and those are stepping stones to get you into those larger or what your dreams were, exactly. dream clients w would be. Um, so tell me about like working with HBO, uh, what you've done with HBO, what you've, I, you've had an opening sequence for a show on Netflix, correct? No, oh. I pitched, I pitched, okay, pitched. style frames for oh, a, a show on Netflix. I, but I, I had awesome opportunity. Um, so my goal um, when I was working with the agency here in town was somehow to figure out my way of being in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, right? It's just nowhere close to being a mecca for creative services uh, throughout the US. How to try and kind of leapfrog and, and position myself in my career by utilizing all these tools that we're talking about and um, um, building yourself up as an artist as well as making, you know, expanding your network, making connections. Um, my goal was to be able to lay in bed at night with my wife, throw something on Hulu or Netflix or some you know, streaming service and be able to say, you know, I had a hand in creating that. Um, and so the first thing that um, it, it just came along uh, probably six months ago was when it happened, um, was I was able to do a, most of the graphics package for a film by, uh, it was three directors can't remember the third, I feel awful for it, but Alex Gibney um, and two other directors. Alex Gibney is a um, Oscar-winning documentarian, right? And uh, he put together this film on essentially the government's inability to respond to COVID. It's called Co Totally Under Control. So I was kind of thrown right into the mix and I was working with this studio that I greatly idolized, you know, I, I admired, I wanted to work with them, uh, called Elastic out of Santa Monica. Um, so I had somehow made my way in there from a personal project. They had seen this personal project that I spent a year in creating on my free time. Um, and from that, I was able to put together this package. So it was kind of a, a roundabout thing where it started off with HBO and then it became um, this more expanded, um, I guess, uh, it, 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 how would you call it? Expand. It wasn't just on HBO. It was on other streaming services as well. Um, so, uh, expanded distribution package, I guess is the word I'm looking for uh, to be proper. But um, that was kind of the first experience that I'd had. Not the first, that was the largest experience to that point. Cause I'd done some stuff with like NBC Bay Area, these smaller kind of cable, you know, cable television show packages and stuff. And I really enjoyed that. Um, but it was, it was a pretty amazing experience because that was like the culmination of all this work that I'd been putting together, both on the business side and within my artistic you know, capabilities, um, which nobody, I'm sure you feel this too, nobody ever feels like they've like created that thing that they're really proud of, you know, like is them. Like I'm proud of it, but I've yet to find that thing that's me on the artistic side, you know, and that's a, that's a tough part that I don't know if anybody ever really feels like they've locked down. I don't think anybody will ever find a totality of feeling 
good about their work, there will always be, as a creative, there will always be some like aspect of a piece you've made that you absolutely dread and hate yeah, that completely. other people looking in don't even care about. Exactly. They just appreciate what you've done. Exactly. But I think that's a good thing to have though. You know, I mean, if you're completely, you know, it's, it's an easy way to slip into complacency. If you say, ah, I wouldn't change a frame on this thing. You know, it's like, I think having a little bit of that, um, cynical nature on your own work is healthy. Uh, it's just when it becomes uh, um, disabling to you to sit down and create more, that's where it starts becoming an issue, right? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> but that's a whole other topic. That's true. Um, let's move into like, like business. Talk about business. Uh, so, like, I know that you have your your like your motion your most motion animation. Uh, sorry, your motion animation uh, freelance stuff. What are what other things are you playing with? Like, what are you doing right now? So, one of the things that I've really begun, you know, like I said early in my twenties, I was doing freelance work literally to have money for the weekend. Like, it wasn't there was no long term goals. It was just living life and enjoying life. Um, and since then, you know, that I was never considered myself. I was never interested in business. It wasn't a thing. It wasn't until I, you know, married my wife and we got a house and I started thinking about the future and um, financial stability is a big part of, of, of thinking of your future, you know, um, that it really started opening up to me and, and freelance became kind of the boat ramp for me to ease into the waters a little bit and, and figure out how to do things right, which there is an upside to doing freelance work when uh, you have no clue what you're doing. You learn a lot of what not to do. So there is upside, but I'm getting off base here a little bit. Um, well, let's talk about that. Let's, let's, let's first maybe, maybe talk about the business of freelance. Like, like what, what were some trials and tribulations that you've gone through? Well, I mean, early on, again, that kind of at the core of all that, um, there's a lot of small layers on top, but at the core of all that really was the one for the meal, one for the real, you know, it was, uh, um, taking ownership over the time that an effort that you put in and not just feeling entitled because you think you've put in the time that you deserve to have an amazing opportunity. That's not how it works. You need to put in the effort to make those connections, to have the capability to follow through when you have an opportunity like that, right? Kind of on the artistic and the, the actual skill sides of your craft, whatever that might be. Um, but that was really the, kind of the, the primary thing was having ownership and taking responsibility over your career, right? Because again, back then it wasn't thought as a career. It was just like, well, I'm making money, but shoot, why am I not finding clients? It's probably because I'm not putting in the effort to find those clients. And if I am, um, they're half-hearted, you know, and you can't, uh, you can't expect anything good to happen when you're just kind of, you send out maybe one or two emails a month um, to some places that you just stumble on. You know, you need to actually sit down and dedicate time to finding potential clients. And, uh, you know, it's a, it goes a little bit deeper than just sitting down on, on um, you know, on a Google search for an hour. It's, it's uh, actually going out into the community wherever you might be at. At the time I was in Denver and every now and then I'd go out and I'd try to get together with these video coalitions, these video meetups, and that led to some good things. But, um, you know, again, I always thought I don't need that. I can make it on my own. That's what a crock, you know, that's, that's a huge slap in the face for reality. Uh, once you come back and realize how off you were in your thinking from before, 
Um, so that would be the, the primary thing. You know, there's a fine line to walk and, and another thing that I had, I had learned of what not to do in my early career was say, a client comes along and I'm the video professional, right? They might be selling furniture or something, right? Um, I am trying to give you my best product for what I believe will work for you, right? The best marketing video for your company. So in my mind, I was the video professional, I know better, you get three revisions, that's it. That's kind of the hard-lined approach on one side. On the other aspect is, is where I feel like I've been at lately, where, um, where you essentially try to offer, it's the traditional, the client knows best, right? You do everything that the client requests, and I, I'm trying to search for where that middle ground is. So while that's something that didn't work before, um, I'm still trying to find, this is a continuous journey of trying to find that middle ground of how do you, um, how do you feel, how do you give the client a feeling that they are being heard and you're fulfilling their, their requests while being able to subtly tell them, okay, we're, we're just, we got some scope creep going on right now. This is a little bit too much. We need to bring it back in. You know, so that's a, that's a big juggle that I'm, I'm still trying to continue to work through. Well, that, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think a lot of, even, I mean, I think anybody, no matter the bounds of your career, no matter like where you're at in your career, you're going to, in a, in a, in, you're going to encounter um, people who want to take your time or, and maybe the, they, they don't even like, they, they don't have horrible intentions or malicious intentions. Nobody ever has Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're like, oh, can you fix this little thing? They, and you just have to be able to say like, hey, um, you know, this is out of the bounds of scope. Uh, we're kind of, you know, creeping into, you know, what wasn't agreed on on the contract. Um, and I guess for me, I, I don't, I'm, I'm bad at saying like, hey, like here are the boundaries. Uh, so I, I have been also trying to figure out like, you know, what's the best way of going, you know, going about saying, talking to a client saying like, hey, like uh, here's what we agreed on. Um, and maybe if we have to go and we have to, I may have to readjust the rate or add an hourly rate to what we're doing. Right. So. Well, and I think that something that plays into that and something that I did awful before is educating your client, right? And this, this isn't so much applicable in my world lately where I'm working with a studio or a creative agency that has their client that I'm helping them fulfill something, right? This is more in your world of direct-to-client work, especially with smaller businesses or medium-sized businesses. Sometimes, just like you said, they never have malintent. They might have just a hint of, um, of um, ignorance. To, to, and, you know, it's not willful ignorance. Right? Yeah, exactly. It's not like they're trying to. But sometimes education of the process that you're going through and what effort it takes and requires to make an adjustment um, sometimes can be kind of the silver bullet um, to help pull things back in to where, oh, now if you can explain to them this is what it takes to fulfill a request that they've had, they now realize this is not just a thing. You know, hop into your program, press a button, export it again, and we're good to go, right? So I think that was uh, that's another big aspect that I learned along the way of like, keeping your client involved and engaged in a way that lets them in on the process that you are involved in. Because working in a bubble very rarely works. It's easier for us as creators sometimes where you don't feel like you got somebody over your shoulder, but it can alleviate a lot of pressures down the road, which especially when you have a tight t deadline, right? All of a sudden, 
if they don't know what is required or what the process is like, you are on you know, the 11th hour and they're asking for these changes, if you can try to kind of mitigate that issue up front a little bit, it becomes much easier to navigate a project and feel like this was worth my time, right? This was, this was good for both sides. And the client comes out of it with some more knowledge of how the process goes, um, which they can take with them to other studios or agencies or whoever they might reach out to for future material, right? So Jordan, thank you for coming on the podcast and kind of like talking about what it means to be a creator, a creative, and also like, you know, what it's like starting a business and some of the trials and tribulations that you went through while going through those processes. Um, is there anything that you'd like to talk, say to the crowd? That's it. Thank you so much for having me, man. Perfect. All right, and you can find Jordan's information down in the description or, um, you know, search his name online probably be able to find him. Um, but uh, thank you for coming for episode three. Tune in next Tuesday for episode four. I'm not sure I'm going to have yet, but we're going to find someone tight. Peace.